Welcome to the Young Life Midlands podcast. This is the last talk from Tom Job at Family Camp. If you enjoy Tom as much as I do, you can check out his sermons at Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I will have that information in the show notes. So put those headphones on and sit back and enjoy the message. being awesome. <laughs> this has been such a great weekend. You know, I wanted, I wanted y'all to think for just a minute about, um, like, what is the saddest moment of any movie you've ever seen? And I know when I say that, just, you know, a lot of y'all are thinking about, you know, when Sonny Corleone pulls up to that toll booth, you know, and the guy ducks down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Some of us are still not over that one. And I know, and probably, you know, some of you thought about, you know, the end of the Titanic, you know, when everybody's turning blue and, you know, it's just like, come back, come back. <laughs> Remember that part. But um, I, I tell you what, one of them for me is, um, it's like, it's, the, it's getting to the, like, the last 20 minutes of It's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey's kind of, kind of losing it, you know, and, and, uh, and his daughter's practicing the, her Christmas carol, and he's like, do you have to keep playing that stupid song? <laughs> Why do we have to have all these kids? You know, <laughs> oh, daddy. You know, but, oh, God. <laughs> but really for me, I think the, the saddest moment of any, any movie that I know of is, uh, it's an old, old uh, black and white uh, version of Dickens' Christmas carol where, you know, old Scrooge is, uh, everybody hated him, which is great for him because he hated everybody. And then he goes and flies out the window through the um, London fog and the London night with the ghost of Christmas past. And he winds up in a school and there's only um, one student there. All the other classmates had gone home for holidays and his, his uh, home was a place where you couldn't have a holiday and he was alone and afraid more than he probably knew. And Scrooge realized that he was looking at a memory of himself. Um, there's a, I'm, I'm always, I kind of obsess on that story. Like every Christmas, I always read it since, since I've been in college. And um, the last few years, I listened to like the audio book of it. And the guy that does the Harry Potter books, he has one. It's amazing. But I always learn something. But... A couple of years ago, I realized that it says that when Scrooge was looking at himself in school, he sobbed. And I was like, wow. It says it two times. And you think about the fact that, like, it was only probably about 7 o'clock in the evening that he was about to hit a kid singing Christmas carols with a, a fire poker. And then six hours later, after midnight, he's, he's sobbing about, you know, just thinking about himself in school. I used to be at a place where... Um, if I went in like Kroger's or something and they were playing music from like the late 60s and early 70s, you know, CCR or Three Dog Night or any of that stuff, I used to have to leave because it would take me back to my high school years, which were not Sunday, Monday, happy days, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. My dad was an alcoholic and I, you know, I spent my high school years, my early college years trying to protect my mom and myself and my dad and and I was trying to find Jesus, and I didn't know anybody who knew Jesus. And in our high school, we didn't have young life, and I needed it. I, you know, I needed, I, you know, what I would have given if I could have been invited for a Coke by some guy that was just like, just had a heart for this weird, lonely kid. And, 
you know, if I had been invited to club or invited to camp, what I would have given if my high school memories could have been my best memories because they were the beginning of a new life rather than what they are for me, my worst memories because they were the end of an old life. I needed young life when I was in high school and we didn't have it. And that's why I would do anything to help young life and make sure that it's everywhere. You know, in all the high schools it could possibly be. There's, you know, because oh, there's kids like me out there that are looking for Jesus and don't know how to find him. So I, can I tell you something crazy that happened about a year ago? So, um, well, in 2004, um, I went to, I went, um, to, young, for, to the Young Life Camp. Uh, I had to give the talks at a, the Young Life Camp in Venezuela. Like in, in the Young Life was in this little city of Rubio in Venezuela, right on the border with Colombia. And they were taking like 70 kids up into the Andes Mountains. And so I had to do the talks, which I don't really speak Spanish. Like, well, I, I mean, I've kind of learned it, but um, actually spoke, I think, a lot of Italian. But they said it made them listen more. But anyway, so, but it was completely awesome. I had so much fun down there. Uh, they were doing a recall vote of their president, Hugo Chavez. So it was kind of sketchy, but, but it, was, it went great. But anyway, so like last year, um, I was driving through like our little town, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And I, there was a guy carrying a tire. And, uh, and um, I mean, I just thought, to tell you the honest, I just thought he was, a, he was a tall guy carrying a tire down the road. And, you know, I just thought he was a, just like a tall, you know, African-American guy. And I pulled over and stopped and I said, can I help you? And he said, I don't speak English. And I was like, wow, he wa you know, he wasn't American. And uh, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Venezuela. I said, get in. So he got in the car and we went and, uh, you know, I helped him with his tire and all that. And, and um, he, he was, uh, he had his wife and he had a two-year-old and he was in the States on a three-month um, he was an engineer on a work visa. The three months were out, and he said, we can't go back. Venezuela is a disaster. There's no food. There's no medicine. It's a complete disaster. So now I'm undocumented, but I'm just working construction, and we're just trying to see what's next. They were living in a low, he told me where they were living in kind of a low-income apartment building, apartment complex in Oak Ridge. And so, um, but anyway, we just, you know, just, you know, we, I just, I took him to his car, and we fixed his tire and stuff. And then I just got thinking about him. So that Sunday afternoon, I went looking for him, uh, you know, in that, just, I just knew, I didn't know which apartment they lived in, but I knew what his car was like. So I just started going from parking lot to parking lot, just trying to find him. And um, so, and I, I couldn't find him. And then in the last parking lot of these, of this apartment complex, um, I see his car and I said, he must be in that building. And he walks out with his wife and this, their two-year-old son. His, his wife's name was Gabby. And uh, he said, Tom, you know, we just hugged it up and all that. And then, uh, um, and she spoke perfect English. And I said, wow, your English is awesome. Why do you speak English so well? And she said, I was an exchange student in high school in the United States. I said, wow, that's amazing. I was in your country too. And she said, were you in Rubio? And I said, how do you know that? And she said, well, David said you were a pastor and that you were working um, in a ministry in, um, and all the, all the ministries and were in really kind of stationed in Rubio before it got so sketchy that they all had to leave. And um, I said, yeah, I was with a group called Young Life. And she said, I love Young Life. 
And I said, you know about Young Life? And she said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior in 2007 at Sharp Top Cove. It's a magical place. I said, it really is. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so John chapter 21, like when Jesus, you know, he was risen from the dead and his guys had gone uh, up to the, uh, back up to the, to the Galilee. You know, they were by the Sea of Galilee and they were just waiting on Jesus. And so they went fishing and they were fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. Whenever it talks about them fishing, they never catch anything. So you kind of get the impression they weren't very good at it. But they, um, but anyway, and some people said, well, they had, Peter had gone back to his old life, you know, back to fishing, which is totally not true. Because at this point, he had already seen Jesus at least three times. And Jesus told them to go there and wait. So they went and they were just waiting on him. And they had fished all night. And there was a guy on the shore. And he just said, have you caught anything? And he's like, and they were like, do you have another question? And you know, and they said, and they said, no. And so he said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, which they did. And they caught a whole big bunch of fish and they understood, they knew it was Jesus. And so Peter just dives in and swims to Jesus. When that same thing had happened, like two years before this in Luke chapter five, when they caught a bunch of fish, Peter said to Jesus, you need to get away from me. You need to like just slowly back away because I'm a sinful person. But after these two years and after what he had gone through, he realized I'm like way more sinful than I even knew I was. And there's no better place for a sinful guy like me than dripping wet at the foot of Jesus. So he swam there. And, you know, you get the impression when you read it that it was a little bit quiet because they had a lot of questions because now that Jesus was risen from the dead, they knew that the mission was on. And so he was, Jesus was gonna send them, you know, out. And they were probably wondering, where is he gonna send us like in the world? And um, how are we gonna pay for this? And um, how do you do a fundraising banquet? You know, <laughs> I've done like a million Young Life fundraising banquets. I did one a couple of years ago. And uh, the, a guy, he was, he's kind of out in the country and, um, and he decided to do his banquet on a farm, just set up some folding tables and do it outside on a farm. And so um, Devin Accardi and I, he was doing program and I had to give the talk at it. And, and um, so Devin asked him, uh, he said, have you thought about lighting? You know, and the guy said, well, lighting, well, I mean, what's gonna get dark about 8.30? And then uh, Devin Googled it and it was gonna get dark at 7.13. So, um, he, so he didn't have any. So when I got up to give the talk, the only light they had was an industrial spotlight that somebody had in the back of their truck. And so, and they put it on my head and it did that same thing that it does to like street lamps, you know, like it was like world of bugs all around my head. And I was like eating a bug, like every third word, but I was just like, <laughs> but um, I do anything for young life. So I would eat bugs for them. But anyway, so they had a bunch of questions, like what's going to happen? But Jesus had questions of his own, and he had a question for Peter. And, uh, and his question was, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus said again, do you, Peter, do you love me? And he said, you know I love you. And then he said a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he said, and Peter said, I wish you would quit asking me that. It's hurting my feelings. You know I love you. They wanted to know if Jesus had plans 
in mind. And Jesus wanted to know if Peter had love in his heart because if he didn't have that, it didn't matter what the plans were. He wouldn't do it. He would quit. And um, a lot, I'm sure a lot of you guys, like if you've grown up in church or whatever, um, have probably heard like in John 21, when, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. That in the Greek language, they're using two different words. Like Jesus used the word agapao, the verb agapao, which is a verb for love. And Peter used the word phileo, which is another word for love in Greek. And then Jesus used agapao again, and Peter used phileo again. And then the third time, Jesus used the word, Peter used the word phileo, and Peter used that again. And some people have always said that, um, you know, agapao is kind of like heaven's love and the love of God. And the word phileo means human love. And so Jesus said, do you love me with the love of like heaven itself? And Peter was like, um, I ain't got that, but, you know, I've got, <laughs> I'll give you what I got. And Jesus is like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but um, anyway, that might be what's going on. Um, but I, there's a, I was reading another guy who's a, just a great, like, Greek scholar, and he said there might have been something else going on. What, well, for one thing, they were speaking Aramaic, which only has one word for love, so whatever. And also, in the Gospel of John, he uses those two words uh, a lot, but he, cha- he interchanges them. Like John calls himself, he doesn't ever call himself by his name in the Gospel of John, he just calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. But sometimes he uses the one word, and sometimes he uses the other word, so it may have just been like kind of changing up style or whatever. But this guy said um, there might have been something else going on. It could have been, like, so the word agapao is basically a word in the New Testament that was invented. Like, it was kind of an old word that didn't really mean much. But, the, but then, like, Jesus, like, when Jesus came into our world, and he, the way he loved people and cared about people, they were like, what do we call this? We don't even have a word for this. Well, let's take this word. Nobody's using it. We can call it that. And it's just like, it's a word that means to to have compassion or to care, to care about someone, to care about something. And it's just the way Jesus cared about people. I mean, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but a lot of times in the gospels when Jesus healed people, there's a lot of spit involved, which I mean, there's a guy in Mark chapter seven who was deaf and he couldn't speak. And it said that Jesus, they wanted, they asked Jesus to heal him. So Jesus put his fingers in the guy's ears and all of a sudden the guy could hear. And the first thing he ever heard was Jesus say, open your mouth. And it says he opened his mouth and Jesus spit and touched his tongue. And, you know, I don't know whether he spit on his fingers and touched his tongue or whether the guy just opened his mouth and Jesus just like spit in his mouth. I don't really know. But in the next chapter, there was a blind guy. And they asked Jesus to heal him. And so he spit in his eyes. In John chapter 9, there's a, there was a blind guy. And Jesus healed him by making spit with mud. I mean, making like mud out, out of his own spit and putting the mud on his eyes. I mean, that's a lot of spit. I mean, like if you're going to make mud, mud just like. Hey, what? You know, it's just like, wow, what's up with the spit? Like, because Jesus didn't have to spit on people to heal them. He could heal them with a touch. He could heal them with a word. He healed people with a thought. He healed people from miles away. He didn't have to spit on people. I'm like, why is he always spitting on people? But 
there's a thing about your spit. Like, your spit, it's a very personal thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, like, where you're talking with somebody you don't really know, and then a little bit of, like, your spit, you know, kind of flies out and lands on them. And, you know, you're both, like, thinking, do we need to talk about, like, what just happened? Like, we both know I just took our relationship to another level. And, or I don't know if you've ever had that thing where it's a little spit bubble, like a little bubble of spit of yours, and it's a bubble and it lands on them, and you're kind of like, okay, so I'm going to keep on talking, and you're going to keep on pretending like you're listening, but until that bubble pops, like, this conversation is not going to go forward at all, and I just, you know, it's just, I always felt like the Jesus, when he spit on people, it's just like, you know, it was just such a personal thing, it's just, I want you to know that this is coming from me, and coming from, you know, just deep within me that I care about you that much. That's what that word means. And so Jesus was saying to Peter, do you care about me? Like, do you care about me in your heart? And Peter was using the word that means friend. The word phileo, it's translated friend. It's translated to kiss someone. And so Peter, so this guy was saying, like Jesus was saying, Peter, do you care about me? And Peter was saying, do I care about you? We're friends. Lord, we're friends. Like we, you know, we laugh together. We've cried together. We're you know, we spent so much time together. We've eaten so much food together. We have nicknames for each other. I mean, you know, we're just like, I don't know why you're asking me if I care about you because we're friends. You're my best friend. And in the end, and the last time Jesus said, Peter, we are friends, aren't we? And, uh, and Peter said, yeah. And so like if, if a person is going to like follow Jesus and um, do stuff that Jesus is asking you to do. And you kind of want to know what that is and how it all is going to happen. But what he cares about more than any other thing is that you're cultivating your love relationship with him. And like, you're just friends. Because I don't really care what it is. If you don't have that, like if you don't have a love for Jesus, that is kind of a daily thing. It's a super personal thing. It's a deep friendship for you with him. It's too hard. You'll quit. I mean, you know, I I know like guys that do Young Life. I mean, I always tell, like we have a lot of uh, Young Life leaders in our town that are new and but they'll go to a club and, you know, they'll go to Young Life Club. They'll give their first talk about Jesus to a room full of kids that are, a lot of them are kind of hostile to what they're hearing. <clears throat> and I'll tell them, you know what? There are pastors in this town, pastors anywhere, that would wet their pants before they would do what you just did. Go into, because, I mean, you know, pastors are kind of on their home court all the time. And you come into their world, but you guys go into these kids' world. And it's, it's just, it can be a hostile room. I mean, Lee, who I have a guy that works with me, and, and but he's a young life leader also. And, you know, he gave a talk one time to a room full of kids while a kid had the remote car alarm, alarm for his car out in the parking lot. And the whole time he was making his car alarm go off. And you just have to talk over it. You know, what he went to a, he told me just, he went to a, you know, football game. And they're just up in the student section and all that. So he's walking into the student section with his, you know, Young Life t-shirt on, high five and what's up, what's up, all that. And a kid stood up and said, Young Life sucks. And you think, wow, sitting hard enough, you know, without that. And that's why, like, just to keep going, you have to stay in love with Jesus every day.
like all of us do, if we're going to walk with him. There was a, there's a place in, uh, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the second chapter of it, where um, some like communities of followers of Jesus, like back in the ancient world, all of a sudden they were getting letters from Jesus from heaven and it really kind of knew. And then, uh, but the first one, it was to a, to a church, like a, a, just a community of followers. And Jesus said, I love what y'all do. You're awesome. You're doing so much good stuff. I have one thing against you, however, and that is that you're neglecting your first love. And sometimes people, people think that that means like you need to go back to the love that you had with Jesus at the very beginning, which I wouldn't want to because was, mine was kind of confused, you know. But the, that word, the word first, like your first love, in the New Testament, it means a couple of things. It can mean like first in time or first in a list. But if it's just all by itself, what it means is most important. Like you've left your most important love. Like you love a lot of things and you love, you know, doing this and you love whatever, young life stuff or whatever. But the most important love that you have is maintaining your love relationship with him. In his heart, there was a, there was a um, gosh, this was in 1989. And we were, we had been in Italy about four years and um, a lot of cool things were happening and we were seeing a lot of stuff. But I was feeling a little bit burnt out. And so, in the, at the beginning of 19, of, um, gosh, it was the beginning of 1989. We used to have kind of a retreat like this. And everybody that was serving the Lord, you know, doing what we were doing in Italy would come together. And they had a guy that came to speak to us, a guy and his wife. It, it's, he's with the Lord now, but it was a man named Ray Orland, Ray and Ann Orland. And he was one of the sweetest people I've ever met, but he just traveled the world talking to missionaries and people serving Jesus. And he said, hey, this is what he talked to us about. Let me tell you why missionaries and people serving Jesus, young life people also, sometimes that I know, he said, let me tell you why they're always kind of burnt out. In order to be healthy, you have to have three priorities in your life. This is true of everyone. You have to have th these three things. You have to have all three, and they have to be in this order. I'm like, okay. And he's like, number one, you have to have a living, daily love relationship with Jesus. Number two, you have to have friendships with people who love Jesus like you. Your mate, but even beyond that, you friends. And people that can encourage you and you can encourage them and you can be honest with and all that and you keep each other going. And three, you have to be reaching out to someone who needs the love of Jesus. The problem with missionaries and the problem, you know, it's a problem with a lot of people that serve the Lord is priority number three becomes priority number one because people are given a lot of money for you to do this thing. So all you think about and obsess about is reaching out and reaching more kids and blah, blah, blah. You neglect your relationship with Jesus to do it so you're kind of doing it without him really helping you because you didn't really ask for it. So it's not really working. And so you kind of feel in competition with all the people that you work with and you kind of start hating them. And then you kind of start, 
hating these kids you're trying to reach out to because they won't cooperate. And then you kind of hate God for getting you in the whole thing. You just kind of hate everybody. And, and people were like, wow, that's so true. And so he told us what to do and how to stay in love with Jesus every day. And it's super simple. I started doing this and it's like, um, he said, what you do is like you get up early in the morning. And I mean, you don't have to really do this early in the morning. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You do. You do. If you don't, you won't. I mean, well, I'm not saying that. You don't have to do it early in the morning. Yes, you do. You do. <laughs> you have to get up before your day starts. And he said, what he said, what you do, and he showed us it was so awesome. And he said, you just, wherever you're reading in the scriptures, you're not doing Bible study. You're not doing your BSF homework or your Beth Moore homework. It's not that. You're just reading the scriptures wherever you are. And you're looking, you're not trying to understand it all or you're just looking for reasons to be thankful where you are in your life and what you're going through. Reasons to be thankful, reasons to praise God. You're just trying to find it. It's kind of like, I'm, I read a book by this guy who has 3,200 baseballs that he's gotten in Major League Baseball parks. And, you know, he said, like, some of them are home run balls, some of them are foul balls, but a lot of them are just like batting practice and stuff. And he said, you have to take both hats. You have to know both rosters. You ha it helps to know a little Japanese and it helps to know a little Spanish and just say, hey, throw me a ball, you know. But he said, the most important thing about getting a baseball at a Major League Baseball park is when you go to the park, you're thinking, I'm going home with a baseball today. And when you open the scriptures, you're thinking, I'm going to find a reason to encourage myself. I'm going to find something to be thankful for. I'm going to find a reason to praise God in what I'm reading, in what I'm going through. And he said, you write them down in, in a book, like in a journal. Write them down, and you start to thank God for those things. And the Spirit of God just begins to open your heart. And you're just happy. Like, you just, your heart is awake, and you fall in love with Jesus every day. And you have to do it, like, every day. And I have done that pretty much almost every single day. I, I, bet, I bet I've maybe skipped that. I bet you couldn't count on two hands how many times I've skipped that in, since 1989, every morning. And the reason is because like people say, well, you must be so disciplined. It's not discipline. It's because I fight a lot of stuff. I fight a lot of anxiety. I fight a lot of depression. I don't like it. I don't like to be that way. I, I, I like to be happy. I like to have, to have joy in my life. And I like to be in love with Jesus. I just like me better when I'm in love with Jesus. You know, like somebody said, you, you eat every day. You're like so disciplined. Well, do you never skip a day? No, I mean, I can't really think of the last time I didn't eat, you know, but... It's not discipline. I just, it makes me dizzy if I don't, you know? You breathe like every day. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Wow, that is so disciplined. Well, it's not discipline. It's if I don't breathe, I turn blue and pass out, you know? And so, <laughs> and it's just like if I don't fall in love with Jesus, I just don't like it. And so, um, George Mueller was a guy who, gosh, he raised 4,909 orphans in, in England in the 1800s. But he said at one point in his life that he realized that his number one duty before God was to wake up every day, open the New Testament, and get his heart into a happy state. And I think that, I mean, to fall in love with Jesus every day, when you know, you know, when you know what you're looking for, it doesn't take forever, it takes 20 minutes or, you know. 
but just fall in love with Jesus every single day so that when you go out into your day, you just love him, you're praising him, you're full of thanks for him. I'll tell you this, it's the greatest thing you could possibly do for yourself because you're happy. It's the greatest thing you could do for the people in your life. Your kids, I don't know if they would be able to articulate it. Your mate, he or she might be able to. But what they want from you more than any other thing is they want you to be in love with Jesus. They need it. They need the you that's in love with him. And to tell you the honest truth, it's what Jesus wants from you. It's why he died and rose from the dead. Not to get your work or to get your service, but to get your heart. Because he, he loves you. And love wants love back. He just wants to be loved back. You know, we had a, one of the, well, gosh, one of our churches um, that we had in, in Italy wound up having people from 17 different countries in it. But we wound up getting a lot of, uh, of people from Arab countries who love Jesus, you know, and a lot of them didn't speak Italian. So we wound up starting a church for them in the Arabic language, which, um, and they were, so, they were so awesome. But the guy who helped me start it was a, was a guy who became really my best friend over there. But he was Lebanese. His name was Antoine. And Lebanon is basically Galilee. And so he used to tell me things about the New Testament that I didn't know because, you know, he was from there. And one time we were reading together the story in John chapter 12 of Mary, the sister of Martha, and how she, um, just because she loved Jesus so much, that she poured perfume like all over him and everybody thought it was stupid and everybody thought it was a waste and Jesus said, it's a beautiful thing for a person to love me that much. And on, you know, Antoine and I were thinking about this. It was about maybe a week before Jesus would be arrested and before he would be tortured. And Antoine told me, he said, you know, our perfume is not like your perfume. Like perfume or cologne or whatever in America is alcohol-based. But he said, our perfume is oil-based. And you can smell it for days and days. And then we both kind of thought together, wow. To know that just in a matter of days, Jesus would have people screaming at him and yelling at him and spitting on him and hitting him and nailing him and continuing to scream at him. And all he had to do was to close his eyes even from the cross and he could smell the smell of someone who loved him. all he wants from us is love. Hey, can I pray for you all? Lord God, I thank you for um, this room full of men and women of God, of people who love you and raising their families and serving you. And it is an honor for me to be in this room with them. And I thank you so much. And I just pray a blessing on them, on their homes, on their marriages, on their kids, on their work, on 
on what you have for them and the fact that you're keeping us in love with you. And we love you and we love loving you. In your precious name, amen. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Tom Jobs speak to our families at Carolina Point. Hey, and if you want to, share it with somebody else. Till next time, see you later.